Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I am the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you this week as we move on from our series on taxes, which I hope everyone found valuable. This week, we're going to be talking about annual underwriting. Over time, any investment is going to diverge from a performance standpoint from the original plan, the original underwrite, the original performa. Some of those variables are going to be favorable and some are going to be unfavorable. So how do you stay on track? Especially the further out you get, there's probably greater divergence from what the original plan was. Well, this week, we're going to talk about our annual underwriting process and the strategic decisions that come from all of that. So thanks for joining us. As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. And don't forget to swing by the Learning Center at marapolling.com and check out all the great content we have there. Okay, so let's talk about underwriting, just in general. When we purchase an asset, when another sponsor purchases an asset, when you purchase a property that you're going to manage, some sort of forecast is put together. We call that an underwrite. It starts with some assumptions around the current state of the property. What's it look like today? What are the rents? What's the occupancy? What are the other income kinds of items? And what's being spent on operating expenses? And then there's a forecast. And the forecast says, hey, in the first year, I think I'm going to do X. I'm going to move rents this much, or maybe I'm not going to move them at all. I'm going to improve occupancy, or occupancy is actually going to degrade a little bit. Maybe there'll be some new other income items. Operating expenses, not so much based on the historical from the seller, because we may operate the property differently in terms of staffing and a number of other issues. So what do we think they're going to be for that first year? And then there's some assumptions that are made that say, well, based on that, then year two would look like this, and year three, and year four, and year five. And if you've participated in any of our underwriting sessions, looked at any of the content we have online about that, you'll know that the one certainty that we emphatically say exists about underwrites is they're wrong. The world is not going to unfold the way the underwrite says. We use the best data we have available and make what we think are conservative decisions about the inputs. And then based on that, come up with how we would purchase the property, what we'd pay for it, the debt structure, and what our strategy is for how we'll manage the asset as we go forward. So we do that when we purchase an asset. Well, you get a year down the road, two years down the road, maybe three years down the road. And as we said, the one thing we know with certainty is the underwrite is wrong, that the world isn't going to work exactly that way. And the further out we get, the actual performance 
uh, on a general basis, looks less and less like the underwritten performance. Now, it's possible that you could be pretty close to dead on. And that does happen on occasion. What's more likely and what we see more typically are variances. Variances from the performance that was forecasted. And that variance, and there's many causes for them, we're not necessarily talking about those today. That variance, and again, uh, variances are both favorable and unfavorable, right? So if, if we were able to move rents more aggressively or if occupancy uh, deteriorated more than we forecasted, then you've got favorable and unfavorable variances. And at a certain point in time, you get a far enough down the road that comparing current performance to the performa, while interesting, is less helpful in terms of what we ought to be doing strategically. And so for that reason, we underwrite every asset every year, not just when we acquire it. We also do it underwrite at year one, at year two, at year three, and so on. Generally, we target these for the middle-ish part of the year. As you can see, a lot of wiggle room there. We like to have them done so that when we go into budgeting season, we've got some thoughts put together about what we think our strategies should be for the coming year. When we put those budgets together, we're looking at a one-year snapshot. Well, what guides us? Well, this annual underwrite is what guides us. It allows us to come up with strategies that would take advantage of favorable variances we've experienced and address unfavorable variances such that we either stay on track or get back on track or can exceed the original performance that we set out. So how does that actually work? Well, we start with the original underwrite. We take that model and we don't do every last piece of a new underwrite. Part of it is because we don't, we don't have to. We're not acquiring this asset. We already know it and have a lot of experience. What we typically will do is we'll use that as the template, as the form. And then we'll go through and we'll gather current data. So when we purchase an asset, we're going to get data from the seller. They'll give us a set of financials for the last 12 months, rent rolls about that show us occupancy, that show us uh, average rents, that show us rents by units, all sorts of various things along those lines. Well, we have that data as well and more. And so we gather all that current data, including the expense data, and plug it into the underwrite. Now, I mentioned when we do an acquisition, the expense data is of interest to us, in particular items like utilities uh, and some other of the contracted items, landscaping and those things. We don't focus as much on what they were spending on staffing or what they spent on promotion, because those are strategies we're going to have of our own that may uh, cost more or cost less. Well, here, we do care about what the 12 months of expenses behind us are 
because there are expenses and we understand them. And while our forecasts, when we buy a property, use the best data we have available, this is even better data because it's what we actually spent in the last 12 months on repairs and maintenance or on taxes or whatever it might happen to be. So we plug all of that data in and then we plug in a price as though we were gonna purchase the property. Why do we do that? Well, we're gonna talk about decisions in a minute. So for now, let's just go with, we plug in a price and the price we plug in is what we reasonably think we could get if we were to sell the property today. Because if you think about it, when you wake up in the morning and you look at an investment you have, and this is true whether it's a real estate investment or a bond you hold or a share in a company on the stock market, when you look at it and say, yeah, I like that, I'm gonna keep it, you're effectively making a decision to purchase it at whatever price it is available at today. So if you look at a share of stock that you bought at $50, and it's at $70, and you say, yeah, I'm going to keep it. It's like buying it at $70. You're making that kind of decision. So we want to use a reasonable market price. Now, when we put all that together, we're going to get data coming out, and the data that comes out is going to tell us, are we on track, or are we exceeding, or coming up short, of what our original expectations were from a performance standpoint. Maybe when we do that, we're gonna see that there's opportunities to do something on the revenue side, or there's issues that we need to address on expenses. When we start to dig into those, that's where our strategy starts to potentially shift. And this is one of the big values of doing an annual underwrite. Maybe our original strategy, let's just use an example. Our original strategy was value add. We're gonna improve units. Maybe we're gonna improve 60% of the units. We're getting $100 rent bumps on those. The other units, we're just gonna keep maintained. Our capital plan is kind of modest other than unit improvements. Well, maybe we're a couple of years down the road and maybe we didn't do all the unit improvements and we didn't do them because we weren't getting $100 bumps we were actually getting better rents out of classic units. And so we kept more units classic. Maybe we had some expenses on the capital side that we hadn't forecasted. Maybe there was a plumbing issue or an HVAC issue or roofs or something else that we had to spend money on that we were planning originally to spend somewhere else. Maybe we did such a good job with all that instead of being 90, 91, 92% occupied, we've been 94, 95, even 96% occupied. Well, all of those are variances from the original plan. We now want to look and say, all right, what if, and then we start playing with it. What if we kept occupancy high? What would we think that would mean in terms of potential rent growth? And let's plug that in. The capital that we invested, did that have an impact on repairs and maintenance? Maybe we did some work on the HVAC systems. And in doing so, 
we've managed to reduce what we're going to spend this next year on HVAC maintenance. Maybe we take that higher than forecasted occupancy and turn that into rent growth. Let's push a little harder on rent growth because the market's telling us that there's room to be able to do that. And we play with all of those to begin coming up with a strategy of what might we do going forward. The other thing we do, and this is just as important, is we look at it from the standpoint of let's make a decision about this property. And the decisions are, do we want to keep it? Do we want to keep it and refinance it? Maybe see if we can get some better uh, debt terms. Do we want to keep it, refinance it, and take some cash out that we could then use in a variety of ways? Do we keep it with the original debt, but put a supplemental loan on, so essentially a second mortgage, and take that cash to go do something? Or do we sell it? And all of those are real possibilities when we start this process. Even if it's a property we've only owned a year and a half or two years, and we've had that happen, where properties have performed so well that it actually did make sense to sell them significantly earlier than what we had originally planned because there was money to be made by putting that lazy equity that had grown inside the asset to work. There are other assets that when they get close to their five-year time frame, which is generally when we'd look at doing a sale exchange, it makes sense to keep the asset and to refinance it and pull some cash out. And we've done that before. All of those decisions need to be based on data, not what my gut says about the marketplace or uh, you know, some anxiety-driven issue about I'm, I'm worried about this or worried about that or I have some unrealistic belief in what I, what I could do going forward. That's why we want to use data and evidence to make these decisions. If we decide to keep it, and as you can tell, with the exception of selling it, all those other options were we keep it and maybe we do something to the debt side of the equation. Um, regardless, we keep the asset. So what should our revenue plan be going forward? We know a lot more now than we knew when we purchased the asset. As solid as our due diligence process is, and I'm extremely proud of it, and I'm sure that if you're purchasing an asset, you work very diligently to make sure you understand the asset you're buying, you know the asset a lot better after six months, after a year, after two years. What can I do from a revenue standpoint? What are the opportunities that I have, whether it's other income or managing occupancy or moving rents in a certain way? What about operating expenses? What operating expenses do I think I could potentially move in the future? And which ones are challenging right now? We've talked, I think, a little bit in the last several months about taxes and insurance, two items that are often described as uncontrollable we don't buy that language, but two items that can be challenging to manage if they've been growing more rapidly than planned, which recently is the case for 
just about every multifamily uh, project in the country, certainly in the markets that we're in, then let's forecast some kind of growth in that expense that we think is going to match the reality. And then what does that say about what we need to do in terms of how we operate the property? And what about capital? Have we found opportunities to put money into the property on things that we hadn't discussed before or that weren't necessarily proven? We, at a number of our properties, have installed pet yards. So we take a patio unit and put a short fence around the outside that extends into a grassy area that makes a protected outside area. Very nice for someone that has pets or that has children that want to be able to go outside. And you don't have to go down to the playground. You can enjoy that outside space right there. That wasn't necessarily a proven strategy a couple of years ago. Our experience is it's been successful in the right kinds of markets and unit types. And so we're beginning to deploy that. That's something that we might in this instance say, hey, we didn't do that originally. Let's fold that in. Let's add that to the plan. So we need $50,000 in capital to go implement, and that's going to allow us to move other income in this manner. All of that is with the idea of, let's go back to that original performa, what do we need to do to meet the expectations we set for ourselves when we first made this investment? And if we are actually exceeding those and on track to exceed those, can we make the excess even larger? Can we do even better? And based on all of that, we'll then make a decision about what we want to do with that asset. Obviously, and I think you're all probably there already, it would be exceptionally rare that an asset that's in its first year or second year of ownership ends up on the selling block. We've had it happen. It's rare. Typically, those assets are going to be, let's keep them. And we probably haven't grown a large amount of lazy equity yet. So in that time frame, you're probably keeping it and just updating the plan based on what has happened in the last year or two. As you get to year three, year four, all those other options start to become more viable. You probably could sell an asset and get some gain. You might be able to do a refinance or a supplement and get some cash out. Depending upon what rates looked like over this time frame, it's possible that you are in a more favorable interest rate environment. That's not the scenario we see currently, simply because we're coming out of a period of time with low rates. So not a lot of folks out there refinancing to get a better rate than the rate they currently have. All of those come together to help us have a plan for how we want to manage that asset going forward. And then we do it all again about a year later because we'll have a year more of performance. There'll be some more divergence. There might be favorable variances across the board. That's fantastic. Those are still variances from what our plan was. So what can we learn from those and what do we want to do for that next year? And we continue that. And at some point in time, we will get to a place where 
selling the asset, again, generally probably with a 1031, is what makes the most sense. And this is a wonderful tool we have found to keep us grounded on the data side of what we want to do so that we make decisions that are ultimately in line with the objectives we have, which for all of our investments, in, including the growth investments we have in our growth funds, as well as our total return fund investments, is to focus on the security and stability of the investment, then to look to get the best returns in terms of cash and equity growth. And the cherry on top is taking advantage of those nice tax advantages that are out there. If you own an asset yourself, a single family rental, a condo that you rent, a fourplex, a 20 unit property, whatever it might happen to be. And regardless of if you did an original underwrite when you purchased it or not, I would encourage you sit down once a year, put an underwrite together based on what you know about the asset today and what you think it's going to look like over the next two, three, four, five years. It doesn't need to be elaborate. Our underwriting models uh, rather, <laughs> I won't say unwieldy. It's really big. <laughs> and we've got some great people that not only maintain it and utilize it, but are the, are the keepers of it. Um, and yours doesn't need to be that complex. You can put something together that's fairly simple and straightforward that just helps you think about it. If you are a passive investor and you work with a sponsor that's not Mara Polling, that might be something you'd ask them about. Hey, how often do you guys take a look at the performance of the asset and update your underwrite, update all of your assumptions and make some decisions about the future? Uh, this isn't something that we're the only folks in the industry that do. I think we're probably a little more formal about it than many, most, the vast majority. And that's because we really do value data and the decisions that data can lead us to. Ultimately, we think we make the best decisions when we're doing it based on evidence that we have and the guidance that comes from that, as opposed to all the other factors that you could use. If you are an investor with us, we're happy to share that information with you. It's not typically something we put out. We don't usually do an updated performa every year for each asset. We will provide updated guidance, though, on how the investments are performing and what we think the next year, the next two years, the next three years look like. And these underwrites help inform that guidance that we provide for all of our investors. We're going to do more on underwriting. It's always a popular subject. There'll be an underwriting webinar in the next uh, series. Uh, we don't have those posted just yet, but they are coming uh, so that we can go into in some detail with uh, with all of you. And we um, we will do some more sessions, some more podcasts about underwriting. Uh, we'll probably have some of the folks on our team that work on underwriting join us, and we'll have a bit of a discussion about some of the items that are in the underwrites and what we do with all of that. If you've got questions about underwriting, whether it's a question that would be an idea for an episode or just a question you'd like answered, again, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com, and please 
Join me next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. <music>